Today we want to finish up with my part of covenant. And uh, we've, we've talked a lot about some principles inside of covenant. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to finish it up today. We've talked about sort of what covenant looks like in our earthly relationships. And inside of this series, one of the things that we've sort of hinged on is relationships as we know it just don't seem to work these days. And one of the reasons they don't work is we don't treat relationships the way that God would have us to treat relationships. Um, and when you treat relationships from the world's perspective, you get the world's results. But what we're going to do today is we're going to go back and we're going to ask the question, what does it look like to live in covenant with God? What I want you to be able to do today when you walk out of here without a shadow of a doubt, I want you to know where you are in, in, in your relationship with God. Because it is my opinion there are people that are sitting here today that have gone through religious acts or participated in religious activities or duties that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to go back and I want to look at some things within Scripture. I want to examine some, some major examples or factors that you will experience inside of a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, I want to take you back really quickly, though, to a passage of Scripture. And if you're with us today, and if, you're, if, if you've grown up in church, if you would turn to this passage of Scripture, for those of you that may not have a Bible that are visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. But we'll also try to put some, some verses up on the, up on the screen. Uh, and, and listen, what we talk about, guys, we just don't pull out of the air. We just don't take from some great book and want to divulge to you some great philosophy. What we talk about on Sunday mornings and what we talk about in, in, in small groups and in group life, we talk about God's Word because it's God's Word that changes us. It's not some great speech or some great story, but it's God's Word. And so I want to remind you about that today. And we're going to go back to God's Word and we're going to look at some things in reference to covenant. But as we're, we're doing that, I want you to look back to this passage, if you have it, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. And I want to read this to you. We're going to pick it back up a little bit later on in our time together. But let's read this. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to look up here on the screen because I think we'll have it for you today. But this is what the writer says. Um, he says this. But this is the new covenant. So if there's a new covenant, obviously there must have been an old covenant. But this is the new covenant. I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. And I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. And, and, and here it is. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. Will you pray with me today? Father, wow, what a, an, a just a phenomenal time of, of us being able to worship and what the... The, the greatest thought um, is being on staff with people that I know that love you more than they love anything else. To be a part of, of a group of people that are singing and, and lifting their voices to you, not because they just want to be heard, but Father, they, they want to use their talent to, to raise the roof and to let everybody know that we worship you as an almighty God. Father, today I pray that we'd hear your voice. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to us because this is what I know. There are people that are here today that are living in the bondage of the old covenant. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us today as we use your scripture. I pray that your scripture would come alive, Father, as we talk about what it means to live in covenant with you. And Father, if, if it would be so, 
may there be some that's willing at the end of this time and what we call an invitation to respond to you to respond to say I'm in I'm on board I want to be a part so that's what I'm asking today would you break through the barriers that have been created over the years and father may we hear you today with a freshness in Jesus name I pray amen if we go back and we, and we take the scriptures and we look at some of the covenants, what we'll do, what we will find inside of the scriptures is we'll find some commonalities in covenants. We'll find some examples or factors. Um, and what I want to do today is I want to go back and I want to look through some things and, and establish what are some common practices of covenant. Um, and what I want you to really do is, is as we walk through these, I want you to take and I want you to evaluate your life. I don't want you to evaluate your spouse's life, okay? I don't want you to evaluate anybody else's life but your life. And when we're done, I want you to be able to say, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm in covenant with God. That's where we're headed today. So let's just start off and let's just open up. What are some of the common practices that we find inside Scripture um, where there's covenant? And let me just start off with the first one, the shedding of blood. You might want to write these down. To what some of you guys are thinking, you've got to be kidding me. There's got to be shedding of blood to be in covenant with God. Yes, there does. As a matter of fact, it's already taken place. As a matter of fact, 2,000 years ago, God would go to the fullest extent to demonstrate his love for us. That while, like, just like Brian said, that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus would die for us. The shedding of blood, the sacrifice. Isaiah 53, the prophet said this, that he, being Jesus, would be pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. And all of us, like sheep, we've strayed away and we've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And Jesus' picture of suffering and death would be a conglomeration, a, a great picture of of God's love for us, um, that he would extend that love. And the same is true in marriage. And we've talked about this over the past few, few weeks, that, that inside the picture of marriage, there's that thought of till death do part. And I shared with you that in the, in the early marriages, what they would do is they would take an animal and they would cut him up into pieces and they would grab hands and they would walk into the mist of that cut up animal with the blood and the pieces of meat. And they would make a covenant that was something along this line. May it happen unto me what has happened unto this animal if I break covenant. Now, I think that if we were to use those examples today in our marriage ceremonies, things would probably be a little bit different, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit more serious. There's, there's a little bit more between saying I do and I'm in. I mean, the shedding of blood, sacrifice. I mean, there's a little bit more that's to that. But they took covenants very, very seriously, and there was little bloodshed, and they saw it happen firsthand. God himself would initiate the covenant with Abraham. Um, and he said, Abraham, listen, I'm going to come to you, uh, and I want to be in covenant. I want you to be in covenant with me, but here's the deal. And what, would he, what um, the Lord himself would, in, would institute would be the act or the concept of circumcision because he wanted to say, Abraham, I want you to understand the seriousness of the covenant and the relationship that's setting that's, that we're, we're about to enter into here. Uh, and if there was ever a time for a man to run, that would have been it, right? Yeah, I think so. There would have been, that's why we have lots of women that are involved in churches these days, and men have run. 
the seriousness of the commitment. And we see this attitude throughout Scripture. And God still wants bloodshed, but not literal bloodshed because we know that that price has already been paid. The Bible tells us that Jesus' blood was shed once for all, for the sins of all man. Um, there would never be that bloodshed again. Hebrews 10.10 says, For God's will was that us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. No more blood sacrifice because the price of sin had been paid. But God wanted something deeper than that, guys. God wanted something deeper than that. Can you imagine what it would, what it would be like to have a girlfriend? Um, no, let's just say um, that, that, that you're married. And that you come home to her one night and you look her in the eye and you say, Oh, I just want you to know I love you with all my heart. But there's this other person. And I tell you what I'm going to do. Because I love you so much, I'm going to set aside a time for you that I meet with you every week. And let's just say it's going to be on Sundays from like 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock. And I'm going to set aside that little time for you. And so that time will be yours every week. But, and I'm going to do that to demonstrate my love for you. But I, I just want you to know that, that what I'm going to do the other time, I just want to have my freedom. Now, what do you think she'd say? I don't think so. That's just not going to work. I love, you love me, but you mean to tell me there's somebody else but how many of us tell that say that we love God and we want to follow Him, yet we still love the world and what it offers? And how many of us still love, live our lives trying to run between the two girlfriends? How many of us act like that? <coughs> Just doesn't work. This is what Paul's, Paul said to the Romans when he wrote in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. I'm going to sort of, I'm going to, sort of put it into my version of what I, I think that Paul was trying to say. He says, listen, you guys... Uh, uh, just because doesn't necessarily mean that you're a Christ follower. See, just because you've been raised in the Fraser's house where they talk about God and they worship God doesn't necessarily mean that you're a Christ follower. Just because you've been baptized doesn't necessarily mean that you're a Christ follower. Just because that you wear a cross doesn't mean that you're a Christ follower. Just because you wear a Christian t-shirt doesn't mean that you're a Christ follower. Just because you showed out, show up down on Sunday mornings and you volunteer in kid mode doesn't make you a Christ follower. Just because you show up at the local synagogue doesn't mean that you're a Christ follower. But being in covenant with God is about cutting away and letting go of the old. It's about change that's produced by the Holy Spirit. See, the shedding of blood indicates something that's so much more deeper than just the verbiage of saying that I'm in. And we have some people here today that say, I'm in, but there's never been a change. There's never been a cutting away, a removal and you might be in a relationship with God where you like Him and you don't mind doing some things for Him to show that others that you care about Him, but you've never demonstrated a sacrifice. Sacrifice means to set something to the side, to set it off. What we see that is one of the common elements in covenant, the shedding of blood, of sacrifice. The second one, the name change. When Meredith and I got married 25 years ago, she took my name. She went from being Meredith Kristen Post to Meredith Kristen Brock. And in the inter interactions that we see within God, within the Scriptures, there was, 
Many times a name change. It was a common practice. We see with Abram to Abraham. From Sarah to Sarai. That was a, a partial change where God says, listen, I'm going to take part of my name and I'm going to take part of your name and I'm going to put, put them together. But then there were the times with God when the name was completely changed. So as it was with Jacob. From Jacob to Israel. From, from Jacob the deceiver to Israel. The prince with God. And you know what? When, when we go into covenant with God, when we enter into a covenant with God, He just doesn't change our name, but He also changes our identity. We saw that with Simon, who would go from Simon to Peter, and also from Saul, a kingly name, to Paul, which means small, reflecting service and humility. And see, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because not only have, have you accepted Christ and you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, your name has been changed. Not only has your name been changed, there's an identity that's taken place, an identity change that's taken place in your life, and other people have seen it. Man, I love being out in, in the mist, and I, and I hear somebody say, man, did you, have you seen so-and-so lately? Let me tell you what, they're different. I don't know what in the world has happened but that guy's different because I used to see him on the ball field. And man, it was nothing for him just to throw the F-bomb around. But all of a sudden, he's not throwing the F-bomb around anymore. Man, he's embracing people and he's talking to people. Man, he's kind and he's generous. What in the world is taking place in this guy's life? There's a change that takes place. A name change. One of the greatest name changes will take place, the Bible says in Revelation 2.17, if you are in Christ, He has given you a new name. There's a song. And, and uh, Connie, I know you know it. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. And it's mine. God's changed me. has given me a new identity, a new name. And this name is evidence of my relationship with Christ. But not only does He change our name, He wants us to carry His name. Carry His name. The Bible says that there's a name above all names. And why in the world would Jesus want us to bear His name and carry His name? This is a time of conversation. Why would Christ want us to carry His name? Part of His body? Show that we're His? Huh? Billboards. We've not talked about that in a long time. We're his billboards. What's another thing? That's right. Something else. Why would he want us to carry his name? He wants us to bear his name because we're his children. And when we come in a covenant with him, we're part of his family. The Bible says that a good name is more desirable than riches. And He wants us to carry His name because He wants us to represent Him before the world in which we live and to carry His name into the ends of the earth. You know what the word Christian means? It means Christ ones. And the common denominator in Christ ones isn't our language, it's not a culture, it's not a race, it's not a social status, but it's Jesus. See, in this earthly, in this, in this relationship that we have, Meredith carries the name Christian because of her relationship that she has with her Heavenly Father. On this earth, and, and by the way, that is her priority relationship. On this earth, she carries my name, Meredith Christian Brock, because I am the priority relationship here on this earth with her. 
And God wants us to be in His family, but He not, not only wants us to be in His family, but He wants to, for us to be there uh, by commitment, not necessarily association. Sometimes we, get, um, sometimes we get a name just because we associate with certain people. You ever been that? Sometimes, you know, these are the nerds. Why is he a nerd? Because he hangs out with the people that look that way. Or these are the jocks because, you know, they, they sort of hang out. And so sometimes you can be guilty by association. Are you with me? And hang on to this for a second. But God wants us to be part of His family, not just by association, but by commitment. Do you know that in the Scriptures in the New Testament, more than 30 times it talks about being associated with a local body of believers? Being connected. Um, and why are we connected? So that we can be committed um, so that we can work together because there's work to be done. And when there isn't commitment, you know what takes place? The dating just happens. Because it's all about the benefits. I was talking to a couple the other day that a couple of years ago came to me out on the ball fields. And they said, Pastor Sidney, can you, can you sort of talk to us about getting married? We're, we're wanting to get married. I said, well, tell me a little bit about your life. And they began to tell me they've been living together for over 10 years. They had several children, and I said, well, listen, why don't we start out here? Why don't we just sit down and talk about what marriage is, and why don't we talk about some of the elements of marriage? Let's talk about your relationship with the Lord. And I said, we'll just sort of take some steps from there. I saw her about a week ago, and I said, I said well, t tell me how things are going. What's taking place? And she said, well, she said, we, 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 haven't, we decided not to get married. I said, well, you did. I said, well, tell me why. She said, well, you know, right before we were getting ready to talk to you, we had a, we had a fight. And uh, we just decided, well, you know, that may happen down the line, and we don't want to get married, and then one day regret what we did. I'm thinking, okay, just in case something happens, I want an out. I want an out. Just in case there's somebody else that comes along that might be a little bit better. And up until this time, I have really, really struggled with a couple things in reference to membership. I mean, because how do you identify who's in and who's out? Some of the reasons I've, I've struggled with membership is because in our society, membership means what? What does American Express say? Membership means what? Benefits. And I've not known Heritage to be about all the benefits. I mean, what do you want, a front row parking spot? But believe it or not, that's the major concept and conversation in some churches today. You want to be a member so that you get the benefits of membership. Guys, we don't have any benefits here. The only thing we have is responsibilities. And I thought to myself, you know, God, in the midst of all of this, what are you trying to say in reference to a picture of God's church? What does it look like? See, God's church is a, is a local expression of believers that have gathered together for the sole purpose of of using the, the gifts and the resources that God has blessed us with to use, to use not only the financial resources, but also the gifts and talents that God has given us to be the body of Christ. As we're on the journey of faith, partnering, using those, those things to help not only disciple ourselves, but to disciple other people. And God's church is a picture of, of His family that working, working in unison being a part of something that's much larger than ourselves. See, God didn't create us to live, guys, in, in alone. But He created us to live in community with one another. I want you to write these down really quickly because I think these are important. Because here coming up, we're going to talk more about partnership, especially in the spring of 2013. But I want you to write these down as we talk about 
uh, the church in a picture. I believe the church is, is a place that you partner to grow spiritually. Partner to grow spiritually. A family that gathers with the intent of growing in their faith as well as helping others grow. A, a, in a family, listen, it's made up of all people at all stages. All stages of life. Where they are on the journey. Regardless if you're a babe in Christ and it's, you're at this level. Or, or if you're an older person that is, that is grown in your relationship with Christ. We all have a responsibility to grow spiritually. And the connecting factor is Jesus Christ. Learning to love God and obey His teachings in everything that we do. And the second thing is a partner of the church is, is to partner to share life. And the church, if any place, if the church, if any place, guys, should be a place that you belong a place that you belong and are known and are still loved. Let me say that again. A place where people know you and you're still loved. Because there are people in church that are very unlovable. I heard David Youth on the TV this morning reading a, a letter from somebody. That, and I thought, man, don't write me a letter. Don't write me a letter. He said, I just, just want you to know, if you write, if you, if you write me a, a nasty letter, I'm going to read it on public TV. And he did. <laughs> I thought, Lord, have mercy. But a church is a place where you belong, where, where you can be known and still loved. A, a place to call home. There, there are opportunities to share life. Man, I, I see the church is a body that networks, not just getting together on Sunday morning, but you network throughout the week. That's a, that's a picture of the church. Interconnected relationships where we practice loving others. How can we reach people on the outside when we don't practice loving people on the inside? Partnering to serve. A place where we pool the talents and gifts that God's given us to enlarge His kingdom. I mean, how in the world do we, do we help see beyond the thought that we've had over the years from being served to learning how to serve? See, if we, we're in the consumer mentality, guys, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for me? That's the way we view church these days. And the church that attracts is the one that does the most for everybody else. That's not who we are. That's not why the way that heritage was designed from the beginning. We're not about serving you. We're about, we're about serving those that don't know Christ. And so how do we create that environment where it's not so much about serving me, but how do I use the resources I have to serve? And so partners will be those that are connected for the intent of growing and sharing and serving and living out mission. Partnership will be for those that say, listen, man, I, I, I'm just not interested in what's going on. I'm just not wanting to date anymore, but I'm ready to, to settle in. I'm ready to settle in and I want to invest my life in something that's much larger than what I'm capable of. I understand that I'm just a piece, but man, my piece is a huge part of a large project. So we're going to talk about partnership in the spring of 2013. And to introduce that, we're going to talk about connection because there's some of you, how many of you have been here since day one of Heritage? Very, very few people. So you don't know the history behind Heritage. You don't know how Heritage began and you don't know any of the inner working details. So we're going to put together an environment so we are able to connect you, um, so that we're able to move you into um, into some smaller environments for growth and for sharing life and serving. But just be looking for that in the spring of 2013. Let's go back really quickly, though, to some factors in reference to covenant. We've talked about the shedding of blood. We talked about the name change. Now write this down. Outward sign. There was something that showed an 
on the outside what was going on on the inside. Some places in Scripture it would be called a seal, and a seal, um, a commitment would be sealed. A covenant was an inward decision, but it was expressed with an outward sign. Probably one of the most famous ones that we know about in the Scripture is that which took place in the Old Testament. You guys may remember if you grew up going to, to, uh, to church, going to Bible study. Remember the story of Noah? When God got ready to destroy man, and why was he going to destroy man? Because of our wickedness, because of our evil. And so God gets down to that place, and he finds a guy by the name of who? Noah. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and God would destroy every living thing on the earth except for Noah and his family and those animals that were on that ark. And the Scripture comes back to tell us that when that water receded at that time, that God gave a sign of his covenant, of his promise. And what was that sign? A rainbow. So every time that we look outside and we see a rainbow, it's amazing because it should remind us of of God's promise that he would never destroy the earth again by flood. But it also reminds us of his unending love. My kids see a rainbow, they go, look, 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 there's a rainbow. There's a sign. We see it in marriage. In marriage, the covenant sign is the wedding band. This wedding band does not marry me. What is it? It's a symbol. It shows that I'm committed. And I'm proud of my wedding band because it tells me and reminds me in difficult times, my wife truly loves me. My wedding band that I gave to her reminds her that I love her. It's a reminder of our love. And in Christianity, you know what the sign, an outward sign of an inward change is? Baptism. This afternoon, we'll have an opportunity to participate in baptism at one of our small group homes where somebody has said, I want, I, I want to make a profession of faith. I want everybody to know that I'm in. I'm in. I love you. I can imagine Meredith coming home one day and saying, listen, I want you to know that I love you deeply, but from now on, um, I, 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 would you please not wear the wedding band anymore? Um, and, and I'm going to change my name back to Meredith Kristen Post. I would have to think that there was probably something up. Don't you think that? <laughs> what is it like when we, when we say that we want to follow God, that we want to trust Him, that we want to be in covenant with Him, yet we say, I don't want to be baptized? Wow. Wow. What do you think that says to God? What do you think message we send to others? Baptism is an outward expression of our trust in Christ, saying, I want the world to know whose I am. Fourth thing, every covenant has a meal. This is now my line here, Wes. Maybe we can make this talk. Covenant, meal, sitting around the table. Amen. Do you understand that when Jesus comes back, one of the first things that we'll do is we'll sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb? It's one of the first things we'll do is we'll gather and we'll celebrate around the table. The modern day example of a a covenant meal would be the Lord's Supper. When Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he he prayed over it and he gave thanks. And then then he took that and he gave it to the disciples and he said, This bread represents my body, which was broken for you. Take this and do in remembrance of me. And then Jesus would take that wine and he would pour it into that cup. And he said, this this wine that's in this cup, this this represents the new covenant of my blood which will be shed for you. 
It's a symbol of a meal. It was a, a covenant time. And talking about um, eating a meal together, I mean, that was all we did growing up. We didn't have fast food stores around us, guys. Mr. John's been to where I am. There's not a lot of fast food stores there now. There's a Wendy's that they finally put up. But when I was growing up, the only place you had to eat was home. Unless you got something down, you got a pack of crackers down at the little store, a little Jiffy Food store. We had all of our meals around the table, and it was around the table that we'd sit around in the morning and we would talk. And it was in the afternoons that we would, we would gather, and that was where we would converse at, and that was where we'd share stories, and that was where we would pray and we would thank God for His provision. There wasn't a Chick-fil-A. It wasn't a McDonald's. Eating around the, the, t- the table with the family wasn't the abnormality, but it was the norm. But today we've sort of lost that, haven't we? I mean, I don't even want to ask you, but how many of us during the week probably don't even sit around the table once to eat a supper because of our busy lives that we live? And we're going from place to place to place. Just calling you guys to, to, take, a, to, to, to take a time and to set it aside and to say, listen, we want this to be a priority in our home. Meredith works really hard. We have very busy schedules. We have breakfast. A lot of times people are scattered and they're running all over the place and we're trying to do devotionals. Okay, stop for a second so we can do the devotional. (laughs) But Meredith works really hard for us to be able to have our our meals together at night and she plans and I know it takes an awful lot of effort. But she works hard that we can have those meals around the table because you know what? That time is a priority. It's a very big priority. And one of the things that we see here is that Inside of the covenant, there was the practice of eating a meal together. Sometimes people say, why do you eat so many times with people out during the week? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, I like to eat. Number two, I believe it's a great time to be able to spend with people and to hear their stories. Our small group will get together this afternoon, and we will gather, and what we'll do is we'll have a meal together. It's a time to sit down, take a breather, to get to know one another. How many times in Scripture do we see Jesus sharing a meal with other people? And it's amazing how relationships are built over meals. Fifth thing. Every covenant has an exchange. In other words, because we're in covenant, what we do is we say, I'm going to give you something. And many times there were an exchanging of gifts. In 1 Samuel, we see between David and Jonathan, we don't know what David gave Jonathan, if anything, but we know what, David, what Jonathan gave David. The Bible says that he gave him a robe, his robe, his kingly robe, which represented his kingship. And he gave it to David as a sign of his love and affection. But that wasn't all. He gave him a tunic, and he gave him a bow, and he gave him his, his arrows. Um, and what, David, what Jonathan was saying was, listen, I want you to understand that I'm giving you the most prized possession that I have here on this earth. And I also want you to know that your enemies are now my enemies. That's pretty deep. And when we start thinking about an exchange, I want you to hear this. Most of us are thinking about equality. I will give you something and you give me back something. That's an exchange. I mean, I, mean, I, I will give Steve something as long as Steve gives me back something, but I want to make sure that the exchange is equal. Are there any spouses here that think that they give more in the relationship than the other spouse does? Do not raise your hand. Dwight is going to be here in a couple of weeks. But I, don't we all, we're always looking for equality. 
in exchange. Well, yeah, I don't mind exchanging something, a rod and reel for a rod and reel, as long as your rod and reel is as good as my rod and reel. When you trade something, man, you want it at least equality, but it doesn't work out that way. Ownership. I'm willing to give away ownership. Think about this for a second. The great news about a covenant relationship with God is guess who gets the best end of the deal? We do. Listen to the exchange here. He bore our sins, we get his righteousness. He, he got our sickness, we got his healing. He gets our attacks, we get his victory. He gets our nature, we get his nature. He gets our poverty, we get his blessing. He died for us, we get to live for him. That's a pretty doggone good exchange, don't you think? And when you're in a covenant relationship with God, what you're saying is that I am willing to demonstrate my love for you because my life and my resources are a whole lot better off in your hands. And so God, I'm going to take them and I'm going to give them to you because I know that you're better off at dealing with that than I am. I'm going to exchange it. And Jesus said, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you'll give up your life for me, you will find it. In other words, the best way to enjoy life is just to let go and let me. That's it. Let me clarify a couple things really quickly. See, religion and Christianity aren't the same thing. Religion is a man's way of observing and trying to obey God through a code of conduct. Yet there's nothing different on the outside, from the inside. Think about that. It's our way of trying to obey a code of conduct. And on the outside, we can perform and we can go through the duties. Yet on the inside, there is nothing that is different. It's all about performance. Have you ever seen somebody that went to church and smiled, yet they were the meanest and nastiest person you've ever met in your life? No Jesus, no change. No Jesus, no change. It's impossible. And if that's you, you're living in the old covenant. God clearly states in Hebrews 8, 7 through 9, if, that word if, the first covenant had been faultless without fault, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God, and that was great because, listen, but when God, and you need to hold on to that as a believer. Because it's not when Jim, or not when Larry, or not when Mike, or not when Sarah, but it's but when God. And when we accept that, that's where the change comes in. But when God found fault with the people, He said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Judah. This covenant will not be like the last one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. If you claim to have a relationship with God and your relationship is based on your performance and, perf and obeying the Ten Commandments, you will be miserable because it's impossible for you to keep them. It is impossible. And God said, listen, that covenant didn't work. And it goes on to say in that passage of Scripture, they did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. And so this is what we learn about the old covenant. The old covenant is external. It's a bunch of rules. It's a list of do's and don'ts. God doesn't want that kind of relationship. The new covenant is internal. Go back and let's read what we said right up front in Hebrews chapter 8. But this is the new covenant. I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. He didn't put the laws on the tablets this time. 
But where did he put them? I will put my laws in their minds and I'll write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. He doesn't make us do the right things, but he makes us right. He puts his spirit in us so that we can obey him. And when we obey him, it becomes a joy. Our obedience to the Lord, our love for him is demonstrated in how we live. And the Bible says that we will know, they will know that we are Christians by our love. By our love. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Not if you obey my commands, you will love me. But if we love him, we'll obey his commands. And it'll be a joy. The second distinction is that the old covenant has a master. It's a big man sitting in the chair with a big stick, ready to bop you at any time. Some of you are waiting right now for the, for the hammer to fall. You've made some mistakes in life and you're ready for the hammer to fall right down on top of you. And if you view God from that perspective, He is a distant God and you're constantly living in fear. It's the old covenant. The new covenant, He's a father. He's a dad who loves us. Look back at Hebrews 8.10. It says, I will be their God and they will be my what? My what? People. Children. Didn't say slaves. Didn't say servants. But God wants a family. You know, He knows our secrets and He still chooses us. Isn't that unbelievable? That God knows everything about us. Even the things that nobody else knows. Yet He chooses us. He, he brings us in. He doesn't want to treat us like a servant, but He wants to treat us like a son. In the, other, in the old covenant you owe, in the new covenant you inherit. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. See if I can turn over to it really quickly. Galatians 4 verse 6. This is what it says. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. A relationship with God that everything that He has is ours. Ability to inherit. The Old Covenant has guilt based on our relationship with God. What we do or what we don't do. And this is going to blow you away, but listen. God knows what we do. He knows what we did. And He knows what we're going to do. Yet He still sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross for us. Everything that you've done, everything that you will do, everything that you have done, the price has already been paid. Isn't that awesome? Man, that's great news. It's already been paid for. See, the new covenant is about cleansing. Hebrews 8.12 says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. The question today is just asking, which covenant are you in? Are you still all about the performance? Trying to do enough good to try to appease God so that He doesn't come down with the big hammer? Or do you realize that the price for your sins has been paid for? And He just invites you to come into that relationship with Him and say, I'm in. I'm in. 
You're the only one that can answer that. What covenant are you in? Are you living in the old covenant, going through the religious duties, trying to make it happen, trying to gain God's attention, trying to gain the attention of the world, trying to gain His love? And if you are, you are completely miserable. Miserable. Afraid and motivated by guilt. But that's not what God wants. See, God just wants a relationship. He wants a relationship because we don't earn his love, but he gave it freely. That's tough to understand. That even though I don't respond the way that God wants me to respond, that he's already made a decision that he's going to love me in spite of that. That's hard to come to grips with, guys. Hard to come to grips with. He gave his life even when we didn't deserve it. Today, if you find yourself living in the old covenant, or maybe no covenant at all, what I'm doing is I'm inviting you into the new covenant, to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that's not based off of your actions, but it's based off of your faith. And then off of your faith and off of your love, you begin to obey Christ. You find the joy in serving Him. Would you bow with me? While your heads are bowed, I want to say a couple things to you just for a second. I want you to think, and ah, this is really simple today. I think the invitation to respond is very simple. Based on what we've already talked about, you guys already know what relationship you're in. You, you already know whether or not you're in a covenant relationship with God. Whether or not that... that uh, where you'll spend eternity. <clears throat> Some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, man, listen, the only thing that I do, I just work myself to death trying to, trying to save myself. I, I base my relationship off of my abilities, my talents, my, my works, what I do for God. And then there are those of you that are inside the new covenant and you say, man, thank God that he doesn't love me based on my works because I'm just, I'm worthless. I'm a sinful person. But my new covenant, my relationship with God is based off of what He did for me. There's some of you here that, that may say that I've never trusted Christ, but today I just want to give Him my life. I've, I, I've tried my best to do it all. I, I've sat on the fence. I, you know, I want to have this part. I want to have that part. And I want to be a good person. But today, for the first time, I realized I just can't be good enough. I can't live in the old covenant because it just doesn't work. There's some of you here that for the first time you realized you might be dating God. I mean, you like God as long as God does for you what you want, but you're just not in. You're just for long for the ride. John 3.16 says this, for those of you that, that may know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God loved us and gave us something that only he could give. He gave his son. Our response is that we believe and that we receive that free gift. I don't want to draw our time out today, but, but this is where we are. There may be somebody here that says today, I want to trust Christ and I want to enter into a covenant relationship with Him. And if that's you today, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed. That's me. I, I want to be in a covenant relationship with God. No more standing on the sidelines, but I want to step in. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Anybody else? Lots of people. There's hands that are around here that are being raised. I'm in. I'm in. Sheila, I want to ask if you'd come. And, um, Jim, Mr. Jim Frazier, I want to ask if you'd come. Um, Mr. John West, if you'd be available. Um, Alan Kirkland, maybe if you would be available to come stand with us. Um, Connie, if you would come stand with us. There's several people here today that have raised a hand saying, I, I, I want to be in covenant with, with, with God. I want to trust him today. And in just a couple of minutes, when Brian and that team come to play and lead us in a worship song, there's going to be an opportunity for you to, to stand and come and see one of these that are standing here and, and just look them in the eye and say, today, I want to give my life to Christ. I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I realize that I'm a sinner, and the only thing that saves me is the blood of Jesus Christ that was paid 2,000 years ago. And if that's you, in a minute, when Brian and them begin to play, when we after we pray, you get up right where you are, and you come and you see one of these that are standing, and you tell them that today. There are some of you here today, though, that, that, um, that this is really tough because for many years you've gone to church and you've done the religious things and you've maybe been baptized, but today for the first time you realized, I'm not in a covenant relationship with God. I'm still trusting myself. Today I want to release that and I want to let it go and I want to come into a new covenant relationship with God. I want to trust in what He did, not what, in I, not what I do. I've been baptized, and I've went through all those things that people do. But for the first time, I've realized that may be you today. And in just a, f a minute, I'm going to ask if you would come and, and, and just say, I I've been in the wrong covenant. I want to get on the right side. Because definitely what I've been doing just hasn't been working out. There are some of you here that have made the step and say, I trust Jesus, but you've never made public your profession of faith by being baptized. What is it that keeps you from following through to say, I want everybody to know there is no doubt I am in. I want an outward sign to be an expression of what's taking place inside. If that's you, in a couple of minutes, um, when this invitation begins, you respond by saying, I need to be baptized. I need to follow through on my decision to trust Jesus. But Holy Spirit, this is what I'm doing today. There is no great speaker that sits here. There's only one great prompter, and that's the Holy Spirit. And this is what I pray that today, as the Holy Spirit speaks, that we would be faithful to listen and respond effectively. So this time is ours. The question is, will we be faithful to respond as, as we feel led to? Father, I'm praying for those that are saying today that I want to trust Jesus. I pray that there would be a boldness in them stepping forward to acknowledge that. Before we even, I just want to remind them that if you're here today and you're desiring to follow Christ, it might, you might want to pray a prayer something like this, just saying, Lord, I, I, I acknowledge the fact that I'm, a, that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge the fact that I can't do enough to save myself. But I realize today that Jesus died on a cross, that he shed blood so that I might be able to, to live. And today I want to trust him and I want to follow him. 
you're here and, and you've never been baptized yet, you've trusted Christ, you might want to say something like this, Lord, I am so sorry that I've not made public my profession of faith by following up in baptism. Today I want to do that. There may be some of you here today that just need to come and pray. Some of you may need to go to the cross and ask the Lord for forgiveness for certain things. The Bible says that if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. Don't you think that he already knew that you were going to do that and that he already paid the price for that 2,000 years ago? So let go of it. Guilt is something of the old covenant, not the new covenant. Our God is a cleansing God. So Father, this time is yours and we're going to stand as your people and we're going to pray. And there are some here today that have raised their hands. There are some that may not have raised their hands but are here knowing that they need to respond in a certain way. And Father, how it be, I pray that they would come and I pray that they would be faithful. But Father, that we would respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit today. That's what I pray. And as we stand here, may those that have made decisions, may they come. May they come today and not be ashamed. In Jesus' name, would you stand with me today as we sing?